All right, well, good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. And this thing rotates. All right. Um, if you've got your Bible, open to Jonah chapter 2. We'll get there in a minute. <clears throat> um, I want to tell you a little story. Um, I guess it was 13 years ago or so. I was in Montana. My wife Megan and I were in Montana for my brother's wedding. And um, before, I guess the day before the wedding, the groomsmen were all going to go out, do a groomsmen kind of thing, right? So we're hanging out. We, um, we rented some canoes, and we're going to go canoe this river in Montana. And uh, and the whole, the whole push was like, look, this thing's really, it's really slow. It's just kind of a float. It's going to be a two-hour, three-hour float. It's not a big deal. Um, so I got put in a canoe with a dude that had never been in a canoe before, right? And so he, uh, Hunter, jumps in the back of the canoe. And I've been, I've been in a canoe quite a bit, paddled, kayaked, and whatnot. And really, if, you, uh, if you've ever been in a canoe, you want the more, more experienced person in the back, Right? But I let him have the back, so I'm sitting in the front because this is just a float, right? And so even it's such just like this little chill float that nobody put on life jackets. Um, and so we had floated for a couple of hours, and then we kind of come around this bend, and kind of out of nowhere, this, this like really slow, tranquil, kind of like nothing river in Montana, it all kind of pinches down to one spot. And the water starts speeding up a little bit. And, and Hunter doesn't quite know what to do. And so he starts paddling. And he turns our canoe just sideways. Right? And so you know what's happening. We go into this fast water sideways. And the, we dump the canoe right where all the water's going. And, and what had been just the most, like, chill, nothing of a day, I find myself under the water with no life jacket and pinned against a rock where all this water's dumping down. And kind of out of nowhere, I'm, I'm hung up. Uh, and so I'm trying to swim up, and I can't swim up. Um, and after, it felt like a long time, after realist, realistically after a few seconds, it's like I try to swim deeper and kind of like turn and swim deeper. And so I finally, like, I go down and pop up, but I'm in deep water. I mean, the water's probably 12 feet deep. So I pop up just enough to get a breath. And I popped up right beside my brother who had also dumped his canoe, uh, and kind of pushed myself down again, just trying to get out of it, right? And so I popped up, I don't know, 50 or 60 yards downstream, gagging water and grabbing a life jacket and whatever. Um, and so just had, out of nowhere, this like really nothing kind of canoe trip turned into a really clear reminder of my own like frailty, Right, I mean, because a situation like that can go really bad really quickly um, when you're when you're caught in that kind of thing. And and if we sat here and talked for a minute, I would imagine that there's quite a few people in the room that have had some sort of an experience like that, whether it's in a canoe or a doctor's office with a diagnosis or a car crash or some kind of thing. Some situation that reminds us of our humanity, right? It reminds us of our frailty. And so often what happens in those kind of moments, right, or at least on the, on the backside of those kind of moments, is there's this, like, clarity, 
right? Of like, you remember some things that really matter, and it changes a little bit of the way that we see the world. Um, I think we're going to see that in this particular chapter today. So if you've got your Bible, open to Jonah chapter 2. It's, so it's these like life-confronting, really like near-death type situations that often God uses that bring a certain clarity. Um, let's jump into the book of Jonah. We, you started here last week, so if you're here last week, this will be a bit of a recap for you. If you didn't, I want to catch you up really quickly. Um, we're going to see one of these moments or the situation that comes all the way down to this very specific moment uh, that I think brings clarity to a situation. So Jonah chapter 2, here's kind of what's happening. Um, the Lord has told Jonah, so Jonah is a prophet for Israel. The Lord to- told Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? Remember the story? If you are here last week, if you, ha- if you weren't here last week, you almost certainly have heard this story, right? So the Lord tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he's going to, essentially, he's going to preach the gospel. He's going to deliver a message um, of, of judgment to Nineveh, and Jonah just absolutely refuses, right? Jonah, uh, we could speculate about what's going on and what's driving Jonah, but Jonah immediately heads out, right? So instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah takes off, and he gets on a ship, he's headed to Tarshish, um, when he gets on the boat, God sends a terrible storm, right? And the storm it freaks out the sailors. This is their job, right? They, they are sailors, so it takes a pretty serious storm to freak them out. Uh, it freaks them out to the point uh, that they are beginning to, uh, they're, they're really panicking. Jonah is still unrelenting at this point. He knows what's going on, but he's still unrelenting. He's holding to, I will not go to Nineveh, and he tells them to throw him off. So he's holding this stubborn you know, decision that, like, I won't go. He holds on to it. Um, and they throw him overboard. They toss him. Uh, they're hesitant to do so, but they toss him. And then the sea calms down, but Jonah's in trouble. Right? This, that's where we uh, left off last week. Now, Brad did a good job last week of, of kind of laying groundwork of what we're dealing with in Jonah. Ultimately, the book of Jonah is not about a whale, right? That's the story that we remember, this Jonah gets swallowed by a whale. It's not really about the whale, but we are going to see the whale today. So, uh, if you've got your Bible, we're going to pick up in Jonah 117. We're going to read, I want to read just the whole chapter for us. And then I want to just kind of work through it, and there's two big things that I think we can we can. Um, draw out of this. So if you've got your Bible, follow along with me. <clears throat> Jonah chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you 
brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope, their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. Okay, so we've got this really interesting uh, little spot here in Jonah. Right? So we got the story, Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Well, now, we don't know exactly what's going on in Jonah's life, but he does not want to go to Nineveh, and he does not want God to be gracious to the Assyrians. Now, we could speculate about what's going on. What's, what I think is going on, pure speculation, I think Jonah has had some sort of pain and trauma, some sort of loss at the hands of the Assyrians, and that, and that pain has, has welled up in him a deep hatred of these people, right? And so when God says, go to them, I'm going to send you to them, Jonah is so concerned that God will be merciful to them that he will have none of it. Right, so we know that's what's going on, and he ends up he ends up in uh, in the sea, right, in the boat, and he's tossed in the sea. Here's what's going on. So Jonah, he's he's tossed out of the boat, and and this gives us this like his prayer gives us this kind of poetic description of what's happening. And what's happened now is like he's in he's in the sea and he's drowning. And it's in this moment that he calls out to the Lord from the deep, right? This is like, this, this sounds to me like just this cry of desperation in your last breath. What's happening is that his rebellion, as, as it often does, his rebellion had taken him further than he wanted to go, right? And so all of a sudden he finds himself confronted with, I am dying, and in this moment of, I am dying, now he turns to the Lord. Right? So he's been fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now we see this turnaround. Right here at the moment where he's confronted with he's about to die, we see this turn. And that's what, he's, that's what he says. He's like, I called out to the Lord for my distress. Right? And the Lord heard me and the Lord answered me. So he had been fleeing from the presence of the Lord and now he runs to the presence of the Lord. So you see this big shift, this turnaround, right? Because that's what prayer is. Prayer is us acknowledging and entering into the presence of the Lord. It's calling out to the Lord. So he had been fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now he turns to it. This is a much better move, right? In trying times, in, when times of trouble, in, in desperate times, sometimes for all of us, things get hard, our wounds get deep, or anxiety piles on, or stress overwhelms us, whatever that might be, and, and sometimes that can push us to flee from the Lord. But the lesson, or one thing that we see here, is like our best move is to flee to the Lord, right? It's to run to his presence, and we see that shift happen right here for Jonah. So the Lord hears him and answers him, right? And I think the answer to his to his prayer, the answer to his cry is the whale, 
right? So it's, it's described for us in, in this way where it's like he's tossed in, then God sent the fish, and then Jonah prays from the fish. So what it, to get this in the right order of what I think happens, it tosses, he gets tossed into the sea. Jonah is surrounded. He's, he's wrapped up in seaweed. He's fighting for, you know, to swim, and he finally can't, and he's about to drown. He, he cries out to the Lord, and God answers him with a whale, right? And the whale scoops him up. And then in, in, at some point, we have this from the belly of the whale, we have this recorded where he's going, I cried out to the Lord in my distress and he answered me, right? So now he's conscious enough. We don't know all, we could speculate about what's going on, but he's conscious enough that this is what he prays from the belly of the whale. So the Lord heard him which we'll talk about again in a second. It's a big thing, right? God hears him from the deep, tangled up in seaweed, wrapped around his head and dying. God heard him. God answered him. And then Jonah goes from, from the deep into the fish. Okay, so God answers him. But it's probably not what Jonah had in mind, right? It's like this is not much of an improvement of I'm drowning with seaweed wrapped around my head to I've just been eaten, okay? But it is an improvement. It might not feel like it, but it is an improvement, and God is using the circumstances for his good and for God's glory, right? This happens so often in our lives. We pray for something, and God answers in a way that we don't think is an answer. It might look like a whale, right? But God is using it in this way. So I was thinking about it this week of going like, why would God do this? Why would God use the fish and not just the sea currents, right, in the Mediterranean? Because if God wanted to keep him alive and just spit him out on the beach, God could have been like, and the current spins around and just shoots him back out. He doesn't do that. He uses the whale. Like, why did God do that? I I think this situation, like God using the fish... Uh, leaves no doubt about God's preservation and deliverance, right? This is a story about God's supernatural provision and deliverance. Ultimately, it tells us a lot about God. So he spends three nights, three days and three nights on, um, in the whale, and then he ends up on the beach. So we talked about this last week, that this is not really a story about a fish. And this is not even really a story about a prophet. It's not about Jonah. Ultimately, this is a story about God, and so we want to take just a second, so we want to jump off of this story and take a few minutes, and we're going to look at two big, two big questions, right? We're going, to, we're going to fly through one and camp out on the other. The first question is, what do we learn about man, mankind, right? What do we learn about mankind? And then, what do we learn about God? Because ultimately, this story is about God. So there's two, there's two big questions. The first of those is this, what do we learn about man, Here's what I think is going on. I think Jonah, we can see Jonah as a representative of Israel, right? That he, as a prophet, he was kind of this go-between from what the Lord wants to say to the people. But I think we can look at Jonah as a representative of Israel. And really, you could look at Jonah as representative of, of all mankind if you wanted to in some ways. And, and we see a few things. Here's a, a few things where, where I think Jonah is representative. He doesn't see the way that Yahweh sees, right? God has something in mind. 
that he wants Jonah to do. He sees Nineveh in a very different way than Jonah sees Nineveh, right? And we'll see that. If you get all the way to the end, all the way at the end of chapter 4, you'll get there in a couple of weeks where, where um, God tells him, he's like, look, there's 120,000 people that don't know their right hand from their left hand, that God has pity on, that he loves them, right? That, that God sees different than Jonah sees. It's one of the things we learn about man. We see that Jonah is driven more by his self-agenda than by God's agenda, right? His agenda is, I will die before I will see God be gracious to Nineveh on my behalf, right? Or on my watch. And so that's what's going on. God's sending Jonah. Jonah says no because of probably pain or trauma or loss or whatever it might be, but that is the thing that's motivating Jonah. It's his own self-agenda. It's not God's agenda, which is so often how I live, right? It's so often how we interact is that we're driven by our own thing to the neglect of God's thing. So we're often, Jonah is this way, I think mankind is this way, that we're prone to be defensive and hateful, and motivated by pain. And I think that's exactly what we see here with Jonah. I think he's motivated by his pain, and he's playing defense, and he's driven by whatever else is going on. And that's so often what we see in mankind. I think the last thing we see here is that we, mankind is broken. It's broken and in need of God to make him whole, Right? He's broken. He doesn't see the world clearly. He doesn't see the world through the lens that God sees the world through, right? And so, so Jonah needs God to redeem and to restore and to help him see clearly. So <clears throat> let's, let's jump into really the meat of this, which is what do we learn about God? And we're going to kind of walk through a few things. Because here's the real point. The real point of this whole book of Jonah is what do we learn about God? This is a story about God, not about a whale. So there's five things that I want to walk us through really quickly that we see about God. Number one is that God is serious about his commands, right? When he tells Jonah to do something, it looks like he means it, right? Because he tells him to go, Jonah says, yeah, I'm going to go to not Nineveh, right? I'm headed to Tarshish. I'm going anywhere else. Um, and if you go, if you flip back to like Jonah chapter 1 and verse 4, immediately, so he's, he's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, and immediately, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship was threatened to break up. Like, God responds immediately, like Jonah's trying to flee, but God is serious. He said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah says no. He works out all of these circumstances, pursuing Jonah. And then you pick back up in chapter 3, which you'll do next week, and he tells him the exact same thing he told him at the beginning. Hey, Jonah, uh, arise and go to Nineveh, right, and, and preach this gospel, right? So he's, God's serious about that. And so one of the things that we learn about God in this situation is we see the authority of God, right, that he's different than us, he's other than us, that that Yahweh here, he's the king. He's the king. And that he's serious about his commands. And it's one thing that we can see that we ought to learn. Number two, number two is that 
uh, he hears. This is big, that he hears. Look in chapter 2. I called out to the Lord. This is verse, this is verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, that's the place of the dead, I cried. So he's saying, like, I was dying. I cried out. And you heard my voice. Now, this is one of those spots that you can read it and just, like, fly past it and miss the weight of what's happening. That you think of, like, where is Jonah? Where's Jonah right now in this story? He's, he's in the deep, right? He's in trouble. He's, he's under the water. He's wrapped in seaweed. But where else is Jonah? Jonah is in a, is in a place of guilt, right? He's guilty. He's disobedient. He's running from God in a prideful way. In a prideful way, right? If God has told you really clearly, hey, Gideon, I want you to do this thing and make it really clear as a father to a son to say, I want you to do this thing. And for my son to say, nah, I'm out. Like, it's a prideful, wicked kind of disobedience. That's right where Jonah is. That's right where Jonah is. And simultaneously, God hears him. He hears him. He doesn't just tune him out. He doesn't just let him drown. He hears him. That we see in, in this little facet of this story, we see God's compassion and his care for his people. That no matter the situation, that God hears. And that we can take that and apply it one to one. We can trust that God hears us. No matter the situation, that God hears us when we, when we cry to him. Number three, number three, he responds. He responds. And overwhelmingly, he responds with mercy. Not just does he hear him. He hears him and responds to his cry. He sees him and responds to what he's doing. And overwhelmingly, the response of God towards Jonah, but also in general, is mercy. Right? So if you, if you went to like a Bible app or you know, some Bible study app and you searched the word mercy and how many times it shows up in the Bible. The word mercy uh, is used 153 times in the Bible. Right, And so there's several different words in Hebrew and a couple different in Greek that are translated this way. But most of them are a little different than we think. Like a lot of times we think of mercy or the way that I've like heard or talked about mercy is that like mercy is like grace is getting what you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You ever heard that? You ever heard that thing? For some reason, like I'd always kind of operated that way. That's not exactly what you see in the Bible. Like the, the picture of mercy in the Old Testament is this like tender, compassionate love specifically for somebody or especially for somebody that's in a hard situation, that's in poor circumstance. That's what we see, that God responds in mercy over and over again. It's a tender, compassionate love for another, especially one in a poor or difficult circumstance. So here's one thing that we need to see about this story. The storm, the sailors, the sea... 
the fish, and the beach are all demonstrations of the mercy of the Lord. Right? That God sees and responds. God is merciful to Jonah to send a storm when he runs. He's merciful to Jonah to send for the, for the sailors to throw him over. That is, is, God is being merciful in this because God, it would take nothing for Jonah to be done, right? And God is using circumstances to get Jonah's attention. Now, it takes him being deep in the water, so wrapped up in seaweed for him to turn to the Lord, which is a mercy to him, right? And then the whale is a mercy to him, and the beach is a mercy to him. And him sending him to Nineveh anyway, rather than just sending somebody else, is a mercy to him. God is a merciful God. So we see, he's serious about his commands. He hears us. He responds with mercy often. A fourth thing we see is that he reigns. That God reigns. Look with me back through chapter 2. This is one thing that is like, there's a really cool shift. There's like this change in perspective that comes with clarity. So in chapter 2, read it again. I want to emphasize one thing. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. From this point on, pay attention to you. When, when Jonah refers to the Lord, he says, you. You heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep. Now who threw him over the book? For the boat, the sailors did, right? But he sees he, now. There's some clarity. He sees that God is over all this. God is absolutely in control. He says, "You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and all your waves and all your billows they passed over me, and I'm I'm driven away." Then I said, "I'm driven away from your sight." Yet I'll look again on your temple. Look, if you jump down to verse six, and yet you brought. Up my life from the pit, O Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple, right? So one of the things that we see is that the Lord reigns, that he is sovereign, that he governs, he's over it all, and that Jonah is making this declaration, right? And we see a shift. We see this shift that comes with this clarity to remember that, that Yahweh, this very specific God, that he alone is king and there is no other, Right? So it's a huge part of this text. A fifth thing and final thing that we notice. Look at this, like in the, what I think is the key verse in the whole book is here in verse 9. At the very end of verse 9, Jonah makes this declaration. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This comes with he reigns. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord saves, that he saves, that he delivers. So when you start, you start putting these pieces together and you've got this incredible picture of who God is and what he does. He's, he has authority. He hears us in the midst of our disobedience, in the midst of our desperation, in the, in the midst of the deep. He responds with mercy. He reigns over it all and ultimately salvation belongs to the Lord, that he delivers us, that he delivers. 
right? That the Lord is the only means of salvation. If you, if you took that same Bible search app where you just searched mercy and you put salvation, you'd see that the word salvation is used 169 times. 169 times in the Bible. This is a key theme all through the Bible that the Lord saves. And here's what's going on here. Is that Yahweh, the Lord, that he has dealt with the problem of death. He's dealt with the problem of death. And even worse than death, hell. Because that's a very, very much a reality. Right, that sin takes us further than we want to go. Our rebellion takes us further, further than we imagined it would. And we end up in this place where we think we're fleeing from God's presence. But ultimately, like what's going on is this separation. Sin brings this separation from God that will have the worst consequences. And some of that is immediate. But most of that happens when we die. And, and Yahweh has dealt with the problem of death in that he saves us from eternal separation from him and punishment and provides for us eternal life and righteousness and holiness. That's what's going on. That salvation belongs to the Lord. Our greatest need Jonah's greatest need, your greatest need, my greatest need is to be delivered from the bondage and brokenness of sin. That's our greatest need. And virtually everything else flows out of that brokenness. All of our wounds, all of our anxiety, all of our hurt, all of the way that we hurt other people, all of the way that we run from God, it all flows from this brokenness of sin. That's where it comes from. And that's the problem, the problem that must be dealt with. And there is only one, there is only one that can deal with it. And we see it here. And it's Jonah's declaration now from a spot of experience, right, that God has been merciful to him. And that deliverance, salvation belongs to the Lord. Our most primary need can be met by no one or nothing else. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So wrap this up. A simple summary. Here's what I think is going on. This story informs or reminds us about a loving and merciful God that provides salvation for those that call on him. That's what's happening. A loving and merciful God that provides salvation when we call on him. He alone restores brokenness. He alone holds salvation. He alone hears our desperate cry from the deep. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So no matter where you are today, you might be at a place in the deep. Whether that was running from something that God told you to do or whether that's just a broken lifestyle took you further than you thought. Or you might be at a place where it's like, yeah, dude, that's my story. And the story goes on into one of redemption and you remember what God has done. Right? 
So you could be on, e- on either side of that. So what do we do with it today? We wrap all of this up today, and here's four things that we can do as a, as a part of application together today. Here's four ways that we respond or, or things that we do. One, my encouragement to you is to embrace the mercy and salvation of God. If you're far from God, if you feel like you're in the deep and, and that, that desperate cry from the deep, if that relates to you, that resonates with you, I want you to know God hears you. He hears you, he loves you, and he's responding to you, right? And that when we call out on him, that God hears and he responds. And he alone holds salvation, and he provides that for you when you put your faith in him. So we want to embrace that, embrace this mercy, this compassionate, tender love of God. We want to embrace the salvation of God. So that's part of it is to embrace it. A second way that we, that we apply this is that we remember it often. Because there's no doubt people in the room, they would say, yeah, dude, that's my story. And God has done that for me. And it's, it's a good move for us to remember what God has done. Right? To build in these rhythms where we remember, yeah, I was broken and God has restored me. I was far from him and he's made me whole. I was dead and he's made me alive. Right And to, to build in this rhythm of remembrance. That's what we're doing today. That's why the church gathers on the first day of the week early in the morning to remember and celebrate the gospel. This is a rhythm of remembrance. It's remembering what God has done. So we remember, we embrace, we remember, we enjoy the mercy and salvation of God. Right? We, we shouldn't live from a place of defeat, like we're never enough, we're not working hard enough, we're not doing enough, we're not giving enough. It's like, look, God has provided mercy and salvation for us, and we can enjoy that. It changes our posture, right? that we walk with, with a posture of joy, because the King of kings has poured out his mercy on you. And the Lord of lords has provided salvation for you. It changes the way we walk. It changes the way we suffer. It changes the way we celebrate. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we die, right? All of those things are wrapped up in going, dude, we can enjoy the Lord today and every day because of what he's done. The last thing, application point that comes out of that is to share. Share the treasure that you have found because you no doubt have people in your life that are in the deep today in a desperate situation with a desperate cry. To a God that that they may or may not know. And there's like this intrinsic mission of the gospel. For those of us who have been there. Those of us who recognize that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was a wretch. I was hopeless. Without God and without hope. But he has made me whole. And when that's our story, we ought to tell that story. Right? To those that were in the same spot that we were in. Not because we're better than them. But we're just forgiven. We've been made whole. We've been given life. Right? So there's all sorts of ways that we respond or that we, that we apply this. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a minute just to respond together. Can we do that? So in, a, um, in just a second, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing. So uh, I want you to, take, to know that you can take a second to reflect, to think, to sing, to pray But we want to respond well to all of who God is and what he has done. So why don't you stand up with me? Go ahead and stand up. And I want to lead us in a prayer. 
And then these guys are going to sing. And you've got a chance to respond. You can stand there and reflect on the goodness of God. You can hands up, sing, and worship as a response of God's goodness. You can stand there or sit down or whatever you want to do and pray. Do business with the Lord. Whatever you need to do, we want to give you some time to do that. And we'll continue on in service. Let me pray for us.